Hello and welcome back to Drag Time with Hecklina. It's me, Hecklina. Uh, well, we had a wonderful Pride in San Francisco. I'm back here in Palm Springs. I'm getting ready to go to a Pride in Iceland. And, you know, things are really, really opening back up. We have somebody very special joining us on the podcast today. But first, I want to say thank you for the tips. They really help Mark to keep the show going. We can be found as Drag Time on both Venmo and Cash App. Please visit our website, dragtimewithheclina.com, to find out all the ways you can support us and explore our past episodes. Uh, today's guest is very special. She is a producer, an actress, a musician, an author, and an activist, and she's been entertaining for more than 20 years on stage and screen. You may have caught her in venues such as Harvard University's American Repertory Theater, Oxford University's Oxford Union, the New Orleans Superdome, the Hollywood Palladium, the Hollywood Forever Masonic Temple, Bimbo's Jazz Venue in San Francisco, Hollywood's Henry Fonda Theater, Nashville's The Parthenon, the Tennessee Performing Arts Center, and countless others. She has toured the world as a cabaret singer and acoustic singer-songwriter and has hosted a wildly popular cabaret night in Hollywood. She started in her own MTV logo show, Trans American Love Story, and by the way, that won a GLAAD award for its portrayal of the realities of dating as a trans woman. Our guest is the recipient of a Peabody Award and a decorated war veteran who served as a field medical combat specialist in the first Gulf War, and we are thrilled to have her. Please give it up for Calpurnia Adams. Hi, hi. How are you, dear? <laughs> I'm uh, living the dream, especially right now, talking to the famous and wonderful Heclina. Well, oh my God, after that bio you presented us with, I, I feel like I should be bowing down to you, all your accomplishments. <laughs> uh, are you coming to us from Los Angeles? Uh, yeah, from from sunny Hollywood, California. Oh, nice. And uh, I'm obviously hearing a bird there in the background. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have adopted a cockatiel and he has completely taken over my life. He, he speaks, he's very talkative. I hope he's not too distracting, but in the background, he is saying, suck your dick. And I love you uh, on repeat. Those are both incredibly important things to have, to, to have in your <laughs> vocabulary. Those are actually the two phrases that you need to know most. Yeah, I think, you know, they, they repeat what they hear the owner say, so. Oh, I love you and, and suck your dick. Okay. <laughs> are you are, are you sucking lots of dick now that the uh, pandemic seems to be over? Well, I have been in a relationship for nine years, but I still, um, I still go to pound town regularly, so we haven't suffered bed death or anything. Oh, good. That's really good. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't even know you were in a relationship. I'm so sorry. I just thought you were a whore like me. No, I, I keep it secret because all the haters are out there and stuff. And I, I'm dating a regular heterosexual guy and I, I didn't want to expose him to all the, you know, haters and stuff. Right, right. Well, that's very nice of you. So talking about the wildly popular cabaret night that you do in Hollywood, is that the Hamburger Mary's one? Um, yeah, for okay. for years, I, but uh, the pandemic killed it. So I think the last time I saw you in person, is this possible? Was when this is so long ago. We all went to see you at Hamburger Mary's. It was me, oh. Sher <laughs> it, it was me, Sherry, Jackie, Selene, Mario, a bunch of people, and we ended up yeah. getting, we ended up being so hateful 
because our, <laughs> our, our food never arrived. So by the time the, the show was over, we were just ready to kill the staff there. But um, I think it killed me because, yeah, I, I I was like, this is the Mount Rushmore of drag. You know, the gallery of goddesses is here tonight. I told the staff, please treat them, you know, extra, extra good. And then then you ended up having poor service. And I I was just twisted with rage about that. I don't think it was the, the poor waiters. They were so cute and we were so hateful to them. So if I could go back in my time machine, I would apologize to them. But uh, I think it was the kitchen was fucked up. Anyway, how great is it to be performing live again? Uh, I think I performed for the first time in front of an audience, Gay Pride, in, in San Francisco. And it was uh, very unusual. I'm like, I'm not sure how to do this right now. You know what I yeah. mean? So it is baby steps. Um, and and don't, don't you find that, um, at least for me, during the pandemic, drag was so easy, uh, you know, just doing it in front of your laptop and now you have to throw all the shit on the corsets, the heels, <laughs> heels. all that stuff. Yes, I know. Do you still wear well, heels? Oh, well, I I I always say I only wear heels if I'm getting paid because I my boyfriend finds them very sexy, so I might wear them for him, but un- unless money's changing hands, I don't put them on. I live yeah. in flats. But I, it's weird. I have two different performance careers. I, I do live original kind of folk music that I've toured all over Europe doing. And I love that because it's not about being trans. It's not about gay or anything. So I, I can really pare down my look and dress more like a folk singer. But then I love the drag too, where you just go crazy with it all. Right. Do you, speaking of, you know, not having to have everything be about being trans or whatever. Do you get tired of holding the flag all the time for the <laughs> trans community? I mean, well, I mean, sometimes it's like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm asked about the trans community and I'm, I'm a drag queen. A lot of people don't realize the difference. Like when I started doing drag, my parent, my, uh, my father was like, why do you want to have a sex change? You know what I mean? <laughs> like they, they don't understand that it's all this, it's an umbrella you know, but, it, right. but there's different things. So do you get tired of waving that, the trans flag? Girl, can I go deep with you for a second? Yes, please. When people started coming for you about the name Tranny Shack, I was so furious because I'm like, the word tranny is, it's it wasn't a word I used to call, identify myself, you know, because early in my transition, I, I was a little persnickety and I was like, you know, well, I'm, I'm a woman. I'm not a, you know, tranny, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but, but once the people started coming for that word and saying that, that our community members cannot use it, I got mad about it. And I was like, we can use whatever word we want. And people have used that word long before you were ever on the scene and don't start telling people what words they can and can't use. I, right. I got really mad about it. Well, that was just the beginning of people telling telling everybody what words they can and cannot use. And I've noticed that you are quite often are you are the anti cancel culture kind of person, kind of like me. You know, it's like you mm-hmm. you you're you're in the same world where you're not offended by every word and every nuance and everything like that. So. Um, but yeah, you know, thinking back to the whole tranny shack thing, I've talked about, actually, I had dinner when I was in San Francisco, and uh, one of the people I was having dinner with at this gathering, what a trans man, a, a younger trans man, and we were talking about 
the T word. And he's like, yeah, I, I would not have wanted to um, like, he, he's like, that word has only ever been used as a, a insult or a slur towards me. And I was like, well, that I said, I, I understand language changes, but, but back in the nineties, it was an umbrella term for trans, for cross-dressers, for drag queens. You know what I mean? So right. and, um, and now yeah. queer, they use the word queer everywhere. And I, I was called a queer, you know, and, and abused and beat up over that word. But right. suddenly that's okay. Right, right. Oh, well, you know, and I I don't have the energy to fight with people over stuff like that anymore. Um, yeah. And so it was, it just wasn't worth, worth it to me, and I've talked about that. But the reality with the tranny shack thing was I made my announcement online that I was uh, changing the name, and then I stepped back, and everybody was fighting with each other about it, you know? And um, so I felt like I, I had made the decision. I announced it. And then everybody else started like going crazy about the whole thing. Well, I, I don't blame you. I mean, you, you have to, you have to, you know, function in the current climate, whatever that is. But I, I was just mad that all these young people came in and started telling veterans, you know, of what, what words we could use. It just seemed like, um, you know, I, I went through this whole, in the nineties, I went through this whole thing of like almost dying, all my friends dying around me, uh, really traumatic experiences, surviving all that. Uh, and then, and then all of a sudden being labeled as, uh, you know, old fashioned cis gay, you know, all, all this stuff. I was just like, I just finished fighting this war, you know, basically. And now all these punk kids are coming and telling me that my opinion or my view or my, the journey that brought me to this point in my life is not as valid as theirs. And I don't buy that, but whatever. Yeah. So, well, I, I've been invited to speak at, you know, like you said, Oxford Union, Harvard, Johns Hopkins University, uh, recently a Star Trek convention. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, um, which, you know, that was uh, kind of cooler than the college stuff. But what I, and I think they expect me to be preaching to the, the cis straight people, but I always end up preaching to my fellow LGBTQ plus, you know, queer, whatever people i'm like you know maybe chill out a little bit try to be a little more understanding i I, don't forgo your you know your autonomy don't forgo your human rights but but try to be a little little more understanding right right i mean it's it's like i I could talk about the whole thing just for you know forever but i'm just you know, I, I, I'm not in that bubble anymore. I'm not in San Francisco. I live in Palm Springs now. It's not oh, quite. Yeah. It's not quite. It's not quite the same level of people walking on eggshells all the time. But I wanted to ask you. You know, years ago, I, I met with uh, a trans woman who was starting a trans suicide hotline, and mm. and, and I, I met with her because I wanted to throw a fundraiser for them. And I said, "What do you think about we help do this fundraiser?" And she's like, "I don't know because." I just think people will, st- will people will start fighting each other about it. And I was like, what is there to fight about? And she said, you'd be surprised. She said, <laughs> she, well, she said the trans community and the gay community and other, these communities that are, um, that are well, they're well-meaning within their own groups, but they always lash out horizontally at the person right next to them. They, yeah. You know, they end up fighting with each other 
instead of the larger kind of enemy or whatever, you know what I mean? So it never happened. I, I ended up being like, okay, well, I guess I'm not going to hold this fundraiser. So Yikes. because yeah. it would, it would have been in her opinion, uh, maybe she was right. It never would have gotten off the ground because it would have started a fight amongst other trans people. So do you feel like there's an impasse sometimes trying to get stuff done? Well, on, honestly, I have kind of withdrawn a, a lot from just casual activism, you know, I, or I've called it slacktivism. It's, it's where, you know, you, you think by posting a Twitter post, you're, you're being an activist or whatever. And you kind of are, but I, I just, I'm not going to eat up my life with worrying about posting about political things and stuff. I, I feel like, if, if you're a nerd like me and you've read the Lord of the Rings, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, Frodo, uh, after having carried the ring for years, he he's like, okay, I'm kind of done. I'm going to ride these ships to the elven white lands of heaven or whatever. And I, I almost feel like I've carried the ring for for decades now and I'm not quitting activism or, or anything, but I, I'm just stepping back from it. I, I don't have the energy to be attacked every day. Totally understandable. I mean, you were, you were definitely in the middle of the whole tranny controversy. You know, I, there, there were people coming for you and attacking you. My friend, Just, you know, Justin or, or Vivian Bond uh, was, yes. was being attacked. And you know what I mean? It's like, I, really rarely post my political opinions online and you know it's just a big rabbit hole um miss lady bunny goes for it i love that (laughs) oh god she's that's a whole other topic i don't i don't get her you know like she's (laughs) always going on about how rotten biden is and i'm like what is the point of this like until there's a three-party system we're stuck with what we have you know yeah i i stay out of it i um my my whole thing it's like divine's politics you know filth i when when i'm with my friends and my best friends are Alec Mappa and his husband Jamie their son Zion and Andrea James we just watch television and say the most horrible horrible things we can think of the most horrible jokes have cocktails and cook dinners and and that's kind of my world now that sounds totally up my alley um, because yeah, when, when I'm with my friends, we say the most hateful, disgusting, offensive things possible because, totally. because in a way it's, it's cathartic, you know, and, um, yeah. you know, that's, that's that. It, so I come from my youth of making fun of everything. And now the youth that's there now makes fun of nothing. So I'm never going to really see eye to eye about it. So I don't, I don't really engage, but I don't want to go down this rabbit hole anymore right. <laughs> about, about young kids. What I want to talk to you about, and I'm sure you're tired of talking about this too, is um, is a long time ago I was watching a soldier story, the movie. Yes. Um, and uh, I was really – I remember the story, and then, I, and then I watched the movie, and somehow it didn't connect that that was you. And then I watched – yeah. A, a, some crime show about it and 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 it named you as you know the center the the, the right. main yeah uh so that that is something that happened first of all how did you end up in the military well um you know i grew up in a 
Oh, oh, sorry. I just dropped my shot glass. Um, so, (laughs) (laughs) oh, it gets me through. So the way I, I grew up in a fundamentalist Christian cult in Tennessee, like literally we were not allowed to go to the movies. So I never saw Disney, you know, Snow White. Um, I never saw ET or Star Wars or anything. We couldn't listen to modern music. Women didn't wear makeup or jewelry. They uh, not even wedding rings. They didn't dye their hair. It was a very restrictive environment. But I, um, I was pretty good at school and academics and computers and music and all kinds of stuff. So. I actually ended up going to a high school for the gifted where most every student went on to college. And I scored in the top 1% of the nation on the SATs and, and I could have gotten scholarships and I know now, but at the time my parents were saying, you know, college leads you away from Jesus. You can't go. Oh no. So I graduated high school, you know, top 1% of the nation on the SATs and everything. So the military came knocking and the Navy offered me, they said, you can have any job you want. Uh, We'll do anything. If you join, we'll give you a signing bonus of like tens of thousands of dollars and all this stuff. And I was like, well, it's either that or become a plumber like dad. And there's nothing wrong with being a plumber. It's good, hard work. But I joined. Unfortunately, that same year, the Gulf War happened. So um, I I went through my training as a military medic and then extra training as a field medical combat specialist and was immediately shipped away to Saudi Arabia. Oh, wow. And um, it, it actually, for me, was a good experience because I was such a freak of nature, having never seen a movie in a theater, having no awareness of, you know, Madonna, the cure, Depeche Mode, like all the music of the time that when I got into the military, the guys actually took me under their wing and were like, we got to help this weirdo. And and, how you, you were how old? I'm sorry. uh, 18. I joined at 17. Wow. And, um, And so they actually took me under their wing and like, I didn't know how to swim because mixed sex swimming pools were sinful uh. and nobody was rich enough to have their own private pool. So in boot camp, I lied that I knew how to swim. And during the tests, I just jumped in off the high diving board and faked it. Mm-hmm. That was the first time I had ever swum was in boot camp, jumping off a high dive board for the test. And I, I actually learned a lot about the world and got a lot of self-confidence from it and, you know, gained a a workable skill. I was an EMT, an ambulance driver. Um, It it was good for me. Unfortunately, many years later, my army boyfriend, Barry Winchell, the army was not good for him because of the homophobia and, and he was murdered, which is the basis for the movie Soldier's Girl. Right. Uh, it's, it's a really, what, what do you think of the movie? Do you think it was a good portrayal of what happened? For the time it was, you know, we're, we're at a point in time now where I feel like trans roles should be played by trans actors and actresses, gay roles. It'd be great if they were played by gay actors and actresses. You know, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent strict on that. I think there can be case by case, but when soldiers girl 
was made, we weren't where we are at now. So they had um, Lee Pace play me. And, you know, you've seen him in the Marvel movies and um, he's been in a ton of stuff, but he's a six foot four guy. And, you know, I, I was a five, nine voluptuous trans woman with a 26 inch waist and 38 double D tits at the time. And having a six foot four guy play me was a little weird and and Looking, and and skinny right and flat chested i i, I what wasn't uh, yeah. that yeah uh-huh and and they did pad him uh you know they put pads on him and they put silicone boobs on him and stuff and they really did the best they could at the time so i i don't fault the movie mm-hmm. it it um it raised awareness and it gave a lot of political clout to Barry's mom and dad who are passed away now. And it actually made Bill Clinton apologize for don't ask, don't tell it put general Clark in the hot seat, who was the, the general in charge of the, the army base at the time and stuff. So it did a lot of good. And, and I, in, they had to, court me for a year before I made that movie. And I said, I didn't want any money for it and everything. Cause I was never out there to make money from that, that murder, you know? Right. And I haven't made any money. from it. <laughs> so how long were you guys together? You and Barry before? Um, only just about a year. Like I, at the time I was one of six cast members at the connection, which is a 40,000 square foot gay owned and operated club in Nashville. It was the largest gay owned and operated club in the, in the country at the time. And we did, um, two numbers plus an opening production, every show, two shows a night, five nights a week, year Mm. round. Uh, we had Mm. our own dressing rooms. We had medical dental, you know, I, I was, on cast for that, I, I was kind of a, you know, big fish in a small pond at the time. And, and Barry came out to see the show one Sunday night and we flirted and ended up going on a coffee date and the rest was history. How old were you at this point where, when, when you met Barry? Mm, gosh. Um, uh, I was probably 25, but in a lot of ways, because of the way I was raised, I think I was really immature because I had not been exposed to the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I I hadn't even watched movies that had sex in them or, you know, like an R-rated movie or it, even though I was on stage shaking my tits in pasties and high heels mm-hmm. and stuff, I I really exalted in my body's transformation when I transitioned it, it really worked out well for me in terms of how my body developed. So I, I was on stage shaking these huge tits and, you know, wearing little thong panties and heels and stuff, but actually I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't use drugs. I barely cussed. I had mm-hmm. barely seen an R rated movie. It was mm-hmm. really weird. So what, what, what was the, uh, the leap that happened from this person who was plucked from this super religious background, learning the world, going into the military, and then learning that you had a performance talent and, and then being in front of an audience. I mean, 
it's it's kind of parallel to my story. I also joined the Navy when I was seventeen to get away mm. f- to get away from where I was, and yeah. I, I was very shy and very uh, I didn't really you know, and and once I joined the Navy and got away from home, I just blossomed immediately. So uh, what what was the what was the leap that that overcame you to go from this shy person to all of a sudden? performing in front of these audiences, uh, shaking your boobs. Well, one of my earliest memories is I was in church as a toddler and we were allowed to watch television, but the the channel would get changed if, if a girl in a bikini or anything showed up. And I had watched um, The Flying Nun, which was this television right. show starring Sally Field, where she played a nun who could fly. And I... I was in church as a toddler and I put this white piece of paper on my head and I ran around screaming, I'm sister Batrill, I'm sister Batrill. And I, I think, you know, I don't know if they were more horrified that I was saying I was a girl or if they were saying I was Catholic, (laughs) both were horrifying to them. But I, I learned to play the fiddle growing up and, and a lot of other instruments. So I was always performing but it was usually just at church. You know, I was doing bluegrass gospel and stuff. And I was in church plays. I was in high school plays and always loved to perform. It, it was just, you know, exciting and thrilling. And it, it let me be somebody other than the ugly nerd I thought I was in reality. You know, I thought on stage, people will treat me like I'm special or or cool or whatever. And my last year in the military, after the war, I went to live on an Alaskan island for two years in the Navy. And it, it was probably pretty Icelandic. It was, um, uh, you know. Four, yeah, be- it was dark a be- lot. Yeah. Yeah, but mm-hmm. it was beautiful. It, it felt oh. like I was at the birth of the world, kind of, because it was so brutal and beautiful and cold and clear. I, I actually loved it, but there I met a bunch of lesbians um, who were in the Navy, and we were all closeted because at that time you could still be put in military prison for being gay. And those lesbians really opened me up to myself. And by the time my enlistment was up, I was like, all right, I've got to figure this out. I've got to see what I am. So I went back home to Nashville, went to a gay bar saw trans showgirls on stage and I was like, that's possible. Oh my God. And I immediately got a job as a spotlight operator and got a drag mother and started working on my transition. Wow. And, you know, I worked the spotlight for a year or so, but then it was like, you know, Wednesday night talent night or, Oh, you know, a girl can't come in this Thursday. Can you fill in? And and you know, eventually, as the years went by, I was full cast member for the weekend cast. Wow. Okay. And when did you leave Nashville? Um, two thousand two. I moved to Hollywood, and you know, this this was kind of after. I I moved to Chicago for a year when I first started really transitioning and living in the daytime as a girl, because I find when you transition, there's always, and, and it's in the gay community that this happens, but there's always some queen at the club who's like, oh, 
well, she's all this and that, but I remember when she was Frank or, you know, Bob or whatever the, the birth name is or mm-hmm. so it helps to move to another town. So I, I moved to Chicago for a year and worked at the Kit Kat club on Halstead, which was great. I love those guys. But then I met my business partner, Andrea James, who's an incredible pioneer of activism herself, trans activism. She was a, a rich ad executive and just kind of left it all behind to become a trans activist. And we moved to LA in 2002 to start Deep Stealth Productions to work on trans-focused entertainment. Okay. And, uh, and you guys have done a lot since then. Um, you guys, you guys both worked on, uh, trans America, right? Yes. With Felicity Huffman, everything on my IMDb page has the word trans in it, by the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I remember watching trans America and I thought that Felicity Huffman did a really good job in that. Yeah. I mean, she, a lot of portrayals of trans women, it's the very over-the-top showgirl type, which is fine. That's kind of what I am. But mm-hmm. there are a ton of trans women like Felicity's character who just want to keep their head down and transition and go back to work at the DMV or whatever. You know, they don't want to be on stage. They don't want to be fabulous or anything. Right. They just want to be a woman. You were you coached Felicity, didn't you, in that movie? Yeah. Didn't you, at the same time you were coaching her, weren't you also thinking to yourself, this part should be played by a trans woman? Yeah. I mean, I would have loved to have played that part. I think I could have played it. I I was in the movie. I used to dye my hair black back then. And there's a scene set in Texas where I'm playing the fiddle in that scene. Um, But, you know, I, I certainly would have loved to have played that part. Yeah. And, and what has happened is Andrea and I got to Hollywood too early. We got here way too early. And now, only now, things have opened up for trans actors and actresses to start getting the parts. But now I'm old. Now I'm 50. I'm fat. <laughs> you know, when, when I was in my 30s and, you know, with a tiny little waist and, and looking tight and hot and sexy. It was too early. I couldn't get the roles. I only got cast for prostitutes and murder victims. And now that they're actually casting the roles, you know, I'm 50 and I've, I put on a little weight and stuff. So I feel like I really missed the bus. Do you, uh, have you worked a lot with our lady J? Yes, we've, uh, she's been kind enough to have me in several of her shows and I've opened for her and, um, she, she's a real inspiration because if, if I had my druthers, I would have a career more like hers, you know, cause music is really where my heart is. Yeah. Yeah. She's kind of incredible. I, well, you know, what's so funny was I knew her when she was performing with Vivian Bond and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and Nathan, you know, and then, yeah. uh, and then years later she came to Oasis. Well, I was, I was up by the front and this woman said, this gorgeous woman was like, Hey honey, how you doing? And you know how you do when you don't know somebody, you're like, Oh, hi girl. Yeah. You know? And then I went, <laughs> and then I went backstage and somebody came back to me and said, our lady Jay's here. She wants to come back and say hi to you. I was like, Oh my God, let her in. And it was her. It was that woman that I'd <laughs> said hi to. I didn't recognize her. She went through this crazy facial feminization. Um, and she looked, well, 
totally different, but amazing. And, yeah, she's uh, had a real glow up. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And uh, and she um, was working on that show that also had its little bit of Me Too. There was the Me Too stuff around it, right? Oh, that, um, yeah, that Jeffrey show, um, mm-hmm. Moira, whatever it was. Um, I I was actually in the pilot of that show and I got cut out and now I'm glad I did because I did get a creepy vibe from Jeffrey and it it was really weird how you know everybody just I I don't know everybody was just so worshipful of him without asking any questions and it kind of looks bad now to have the lead of the show played by a cisgender heterosexual man who's playing a trans lesbian. But, um, you know, I guess they were doing the best they could with what they had at the time. I'm just glad I'm not associated with it. Yeah. Uh, What, what exactly was he supposed to have done? I, 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 there was so much me too going on. I I didn't really get an Um, idea of what he was doing. Well, this gorgeous trans actress, Trace Lissette, was on the show, and supposedly he was always perving on her, like showing up in a in a bathrobe and and pushing up against her and and you know making sexual comments. And then he had a trans assistant named Van Barnes, who I guess he was uh, alleged to have been inappropriate toward and uh, sexualized and stuff. I, you know. Don't put me on the record for it. Google it. But that that's basically the problem. And uh, apparently the, you know, the, those claims were deemed valid enough that they actually did shut the show down and, and kick him off. And then d- did the show end completely or, or did it keep going or? Oh, Transparent. That's the name of it. Right, right. And um, I I think they, they tried to do a, a final season or you know, a few more episodes, but, but once you kick the star off, (laughs) it's like the Hogan family uh, (laughs) when Valerie got kicked off and they tried to do or Roseanne, I guess. Well, I think that went on, um, anyway that, or limped on, I, I I don't know. I I don't really, I don't really watch television. I I don't um, much either. I have my certain few shows and that's it. Oh, well, speaking of shows, what a great segue. So let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about your podcast, Nooner, with Alec Mappa. So you've had guests like Jackie Beat on your show, and I guess that explains why the podcast has ended. Is it, is yeah. it, is it over? <laughs> I mean, is it coming back? She killed it. I know, right? Um, no, we, we, uh, we had so much fun with it, and uh, Rachel True was on it with us. She's the girl from The Craft. Mm-hmm. Um, which one? And, Not um, so there's she, for, she's the African American girl. Oh, okay, love from, her from yeah. the craft. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Alec and Jamie and I, you know, Alec hosted my dating show, Trans American Love Story, and the best thing to come out of that show because it didn't help my career at all. God bless World of Wonder and thank you for it. But the best thing to come out of that show was that I have a lifelong friendship with Alec and Jamie and. I still go over there every night, but doing the podcast with him was so much fun and we may start it up again. It's just, um, family stuff and commitments and everything pulled people out of it, but I'm, I'm going to be moving into a house right next door to them. Oh, wow. (laughs) It's it's just being renovated right now. Mm -hmm. We're, we're that close. And, um, 
once we do, I have the full pro audio video setup because, you know, as a musician, I have all the, the mics and cameras and stuff. So I, I wouldn't doubt that within the next six months or so, me and Alec will start up another podcast. We're going to be right there. So why not? Oh, good. Well, I look forward to it. And it's called Nooner. Yes, Nooner. And uh, if you look it up, the episodes are really fun. You can listen to the old ones. I don't know what the new one will be called, but we'll see. Okay. Uh, let's see. And uh, what other shows or events do you, you got? have anything else you want to plug? Well, um, I will be doing some live streams coming up. I, I do a totally different kind of thing where I just sit at the piano and do acoustic covers that are they're they're really kind of clean and unvarnished. It it's not like over the top, like, yeah, sister girl drag, you know, it's not all that. It's <laughs> I, you know, in my fantasy world, I'm like a, a poor man's Tori Amos slash Kate Bush or something. And so I'm at Calpurnia everywhere on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, all that. And I I'm uh trying to prep for another live just sort of piano cabaret evening too all right and uh you know was there anything that you learned from the pandemic uh you came out of this i mean like i for instance like me i i I realized i no longer want to host drag shows with like 10 or 11 other drag queens i want to try and focus on solo stuff and you know performing was there stuff that kind of you were able to kind of do you have any epiphanies during the lockdown well, gosh, it, it really has provoked a lot of introspection. This this last year, uh, it put me a lot closer with my mother, who has come around, you know, from growing up, she was like Carrie's mother. But, oh, my um, God. She, she, my, in the last few years, my brother died, my sister died, my father died, and my sister's son died. So my entire immediate family has died in the last uh, four years. And now it's just me and mom. And I think she's realized, especially through the pandemic, that you only have who you have. And and so I finally have that mother-daughter relationship that I've always wanted. And and I, what it's taught me is just that friends and family are everything. And um, I'm grateful that I have them. Yeah, it's almost like it taught you life's too short, you know, and yeah. uh, the important shit, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I want to thank you for coming on Drag Time with Hecklina Calpurnia. But we have one final very important question for you. Um, and that is, what is your favorite memory of Hecklina? Oh gosh. Well, I think my favorite memory of Heclina, I I think I went to one of your club nights and and it was just looking over I I was just a nobody in the in the sea of of adoring worshipers and dancers and everything and just sort of looking up and seeing you over against the wall with your face lit up and and your hair was all huge and done and your eyes were all, you know, lined and, and you were laughing and talking to somebody. And I just thought, whoa, this is fucking cool. Oh, wow. I love that memory. Was that in LA? Yeah, I feel like it was in LA and, and I can totally picture in my mind what the club looked like, but I don't know if I could tell you what club it was. Yeah. It could have been any of them. I just thought you looked so cool. 
Oh, that's so sweet. Um, my favorite memory of you is um, doing that show with Jer Bear at my friend Mike's <laughs> house. Oh, uh, my Finney's Fun House, yes. Finney's Fun House, yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us today on Drag Time with Eglina. And um, thank you for being so open and honest and cool. Uh, you can find Calpurnia, like she said, on the socials, um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, as Calpurnia. Her website is calpurnia.com. Is that right? Yes. Okay. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Hecklina. If you love us, please show it. Subscribe to the show. Like us. Rate us. And please tell anybody you can about Drag Time with Hecklina, the podcast. And once again, thank you, Calpurnia. Thank you, honey, for having me. Of course. (laughs) 